You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. We do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. For more information, you can find us at gardeningthewell.com and would love for you to connect with us over there. Uh, You can visit our blog, you can visit our bookstore, and you can connect with us and shoot us some feedback. Send us questions, maybe something you'd like to hear an episode on. And with that said, uh, let's jump into it today. Thank you. Please be seated. If you would uh, take your Bibles and open up to the book of Exodus. If you're not sure where Exodus is, it is the second book in the Bible. Uh, So don't go too far in, but Exodus chapter 1, we have made it to our brand new series. And as you're opening up to the book of Exodus, let me have a word of prayer for us. Father God, Lord, this morning we start a new series. And we are looking at a book that for many, if not most, might even ask the question, why even study this book? Is it relevant for us in our, in 2023, in the days of our lives? And it is. And so Holy Spirit, I humbly ask that you would do a work within us as individuals and corporately together as a church that, that only the credit can go back to you, Lord. I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you'd meet with us in this study. I pray that you would show us you that you'd build us up and send us out. I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we begin. And that Holy Spirit, that you just use me to speak your words. And so I pray for your blessings and your favor and your grace to be upon this time for your glory and our benefit, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Well, that was kind of, that was was it. I'll let you go. It's kind of one of those mornings. It's good to see you. Uh, I have good news for you. Do any of you know what the the good news is for? Any of you? Uh, Maybe not. Today's the last Sunday without NFL football until February. Uh, I just thought I'd let you know. Some of you could care less. Uh, I I care uh, because I like football. But even better than the NFL football starting uh, next Sunday is today, we start a brand new series in the book of Exodus. I am uh, very excited for this book, as I told you last week or the week before, that the book of Exodus might very well be uh, my favorite book of the Old Testament. And yes, I do know how long we're going to be in this book for. Uh, Am I going to tell you? No, no, I am not. I'm not going to tell you, but I do know. Uh, But I am excited. Uh, But here's the thing. Being excited is not always the best thing. Do you, do you know that? Right? It's not always the best thing because how many of you have ever been excited and then made a mistake in your excitement? Have you been there? Yeah, I think we, we, we've all been there uh, many times in our lives because a lot of times what happens is this. My microphone's working this week so I can move. I'm very happy about this, right? Uh, what happens is this. We get very excited or pumped up about something or think that we can do something and then we go and do it and what happens? Ah, we kind of like crash, right? Don't we? Things don't work out as planned. I'll give you an example. Um, When I worked at Wagwins, part of my job was to go down the receiving, go on to uh, the trailer, the tractor trailer, uh, go onto the trailer and bring off the product for the deli department. And so I'd have to get the pallet off the truck, take everything off the pallet and bring it all the way down to the other end of the store. Well, on that tractor trailer is not just the deli department stuff, but stuff for all the different departments. And so one day I'm down there getting my stuff and one of my coworkers 
in a different department goes, hey, can you help me get the pallet off of the truck? I go, okay. I go, why do you need help? He goes, because it's leaning. Now, if you, this is the world of like trailers and grocery stores that you don't see. So the pallets would normally come stacked about eight, eight feet or so high, and they'd put this shrink wrap around it. The only thing holding this stuff on this pallet is shrink wrap. That's it, right? And so I look at this pallet, and the pallet is literally leaning like this, right? Because this is, this is the normal, right? A lot of times we just have to pick this stuff up off the bottom of the truck because it just fell off the pallet. But it's like this. And he goes, I want to pull it off the trailer so I don't have to unload it like two times. I'm like, it's not going to work, right? Not going to but they were all excited and pumped up. I can do this. I got this. We could, I just need your help to hold the pallet up while I do this. And so I'm going, it's not going to work, but it's better than cutting lunch meat, okay? I'm like, sure, I'll do it. So we're in the trailer of the truck. He's all excited, and there I am. So you got to picture me. My back is up against the wall of the trailer, and I'm holding the pallet like this. I know it's not going to work, right? So he jacks it up and we move two feet. So what do you think happens? Everything falls, right? Where do you think it fell? On me. Literally, I was literally buried on a tractor trailer with product almost up to my waist because that's how much of it fell off. And I'm standing there. I couldn't move because I was buried, right? He had to unbury me. I'm going, why couldn't you just listen to me? Why couldn't you just, how many of you have ever been there? If you have, like, why couldn't you just listen to me, right? Like, why couldn't you obey me? Not from a sense of, like, I have authority over to you, but just listen to me. But in our excitement, we tend not to listen. Well, what is the moral of this story? Don't help your coworkers? No, you do that. The moral is this. It's better to obey than to disregard. Times come in your life where you are faced with a choice. And that choice is to listen or not listen. It may be to a spouse. It may be to a boss. It may be to a relative or a neighbor. It may be to the Lord. And your choice is to obey or disregard what someone has said or to obey or disregard what the Lord has said. And we're going to see that same thing in our passage this morning as we start to unpack the book of Exodus. And so I have three things for you this morning. Overview, oppressed, and obey. And so we got to jump into it this morning as we get into Exodus. Overview, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read them for you right now. Uh, I would encourage you to bring your Bibles to this study because there's no way I'm going to put every verse that I talk about on the screen because I'll be typing for 14 years uh, as we go through this. So it's good to follow along in your Bible. Verses 1 through 7. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own family. Reuben, Simon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. So, we read the beginning of the book, and these are the names. Have you ever read that book of the Bible before? The book called, and these are the names. 
Some of you go on that pastor has finally lost it. I probably have, but that's actually the name of the book of Exodus. The Hebrew name for the book of Exodus is, and these are the names. And you go, why is that the Hebrew name? Well, if you have your Bibles and you look at the first couple words in the book, it says these are the names, or some of you have the word now. And it says now, the, now these are the names. And the reason it's called that is this. The very first word in the book of Exodus in the Hebrew Bible is the word and, A-N-D. How often do you start a sentence off with, or a book off, or a letter off with the word and? Not much, do you? But this book starts with the word and. And there's a reason for it. The word and is the first word of the book of Exodus. Now, in our English Bibles, we don't have it because it's more english size, right? And so we don't start and, we go now or these. And so it's just the translation to make it more English as opposed to Hebrew. But in the Hebrew Bible, it's the word and. And here's why. And it's important. The book of Exodus is not meant to be read alone. It's not meant to be studied alone. Because the book of Exodus is written as part of a series, if you would. That you need to read the book of Genesis and Exodus and the other three books pertaining to the Pentateuch to understand the full picture here. It's a continuation of the story that starts in the book of Genesis, right? It's just part B of part one. That's all it is. It's one A and one B. And so that's why the word and is there. It's just a continuation of the book of Genesis. And for us to know and get an idea of the book of Exodus, we have to know what takes place in the book of Genesis because it sets it all up. And the word Genesis means beginning. And so what happens in the book of Genesis? Well, I'm going to take the next couple minutes and give you uh, 50 chapters in just a few moments. God calls a man by the name of Abram out of his homeland and to go to the land that God is going to show him. He goes, Abram, I want you to go there, and I want you to become this great nation. Okay? And so Abram goes, eh, okay, I'll go. And so he and his wife Sarai, they go. And long story short, Abraham, he gets there. Well, Abram, he gets there. And God promises Abram. He goes, Abram, you're going to have a child. Because he wasn't able to have a child, him and his wife. They weren't able to have kids. And so God goes, you're going to have a child, Abram. And through that child, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. And through that child, you are going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so we fast forward a little bit more. Long story short, Abram has Isaac, the promised child. And then Isaac has Jacob, that we read about here in verse 1. And then Jacob has 12 sons. And each one of those 12 sons became a tribe of the nation of Israel. And it is those 12 tribes that make up what we call the nation of Israel. And we just read all 12 are their names. They're right here in the first part of Exodus. But here's the thing. Things didn't go all that easy. You see, these 11 brothers didn't like one of their brothers. Sibling rivalry. Some of you can relate to that, right? Like, do I really have to have a sibling? Yes. Imagine having 11 of them. It's probably not the easiest thing. But the 11 brothers, they don't like their one brother named Joseph. 
And so what do they do? Well, they sell Joseph off as a slave. Right? A lot of you know this, but I just want to bring it fresh into your mind to set up the book of Exodus. They sell Joseph off as a slave, and they go back and they tell Dad, Dad, Joseph was eaten by an animal. Well, there's a great thing about the Lord. He works, and He's in control of everything. So after spending some time as a slave and then ending up in jail for a sexual assault that he did not commit, Joseph comes out of jail and he interprets dreams for the Pharaoh because the dream was a famine is going to come upon the land for seven years and Joseph goes, Pharaoh, this is what's coming. I know how to get out of it. This is what you have to do. And Pharaoh's like, oh, you're amazing. And he sets him as second in command. Think about it. The only person greater in Egypt other than Joseph was Pharaoh himself. There wasn't anybody else behind him. That's the authority that he has. And so now he's in this place of authority. And the famine comes. But Egypt, they're able to work through this famine because of the leadership of Joseph. But back home, with good old dad and his 11 brothers, things aren't going really well. They can't find food anywhere. And so long story short, they go down to Egypt to get food to come back home with it. And it is in the course of that that Joseph sees his brothers. And once again, a long story short, they have a family reunion. And Joseph goes, go home, get everybody, and bring them back down to Egypt. And you, you all can live in Goshen, and everything will be perfectly fine, and everything is great. And that's what happens. We see that in the first couple of verses of Exodus. They come down, and Joseph and his whole brothers live there, all of them. But then we have a problem. Verse 6 hits, chapter 1. Joseph and all his brothers in that whole generation died. They all died. But they grew as a family. They grew as a nation. They became fruitful and multiplied. I want you to get this, and you have to understand this throughout the whole book. Seventy people went down into Egypt of Joseph's family. You got that? When the book of Exodus starts, there's roughly two million Jews. So that family of 70 has become a nation of 2 million people. That's how much they've grown. And we know this because later in the book of Exodus, we're told that 600,000 men over the age of 20 are in the nation of Israel. That's just men. That's not talking about boys who are 15 or 16 or 17 or, or girls or, or babies or infants or women. And so there's literally about 2 million people. And so they grow from a family into a nation. But as you'll see in a minute, things get very bad for them. And they become slaves in Egypt. And that brings us to the main theme of the book of Exodus. You know the word Exodus? It comes, we get our name Exodus from the Latin word. It means to exit. It means to go away, to get out, to depart. It's the word Exodus means. And so the main theme of the book of Exodus is this. Redemption and deliverance. 
That's the main theme. Are we going to see other things in the book of Exodus? Yes. We're going to see things. We're going to see the law, and we're going to see the Ten Commandments, and we're going to see about ethics and worship, and we're going to see about Moses and all those things, and we're going to see foreshadows of Christ. We're going to see all of those things. But the main theme of the book of Exodus is redemption and deliverance. That God is going to redeem and deliver His people from their bondage. And we're going to see how God delivers them out of Egypt and the hand of the Egyptians. You see, the first 18 chapters of the book of Exodus is all about God delivering his people out of Egypt. And we're going to see things about the plagues and why does God do the plagues? And we're going to see the Passover and all those things. We're going to see all of that. But then verses 19 to the end of the book, it's all about God's covenant with the nation of Israel. We're going to see the Ten Commandments and work our way through them. And we're going to see what God calls his people to. But I want you to grab hold of this thought now as we're going to talk about it throughout our study. God has brought his people out of something to be brought into something else. God brings the nation of Israel out of Egypt to bring them into the promised land. And it's not just that God brought them out of Egypt, but that he's also bringing them into something else. And the same is said for you and for me. And this is what makes the book of Exodus relevant for one of the things. God has brought you out of something in order to bring you into something else. And that's what you don't realize. Oftentimes we look at God and go, God, he's brought me out of this. But God never just brings you out of something. He brings you out of something to bring you into something else. And we're going to see that throughout this book. And for some of you, God has brought you out of something. But he's also led you into something. For others of you, God is in the process of bringing you out of something in order to bring you into something else. And we're going to see that throughout the book of Exodus. So what happened to cause God needing to step in and bring the nation of Israel out of Egypt? Well, they're oppressed. Verses 8 through 14. Let me read them to you. Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. And so we see that they become oppressed because what happens is this. A new king comes to power in Egypt. And he knows absolutely nothing about Joseph and what he did for Egypt so many years ago. And you read this and you go, well, hasn't it been that long of a time, has it? Well, actually, it has been. Do you know that Israel was in Egypt longer than we've been a, been a nation? Did you know that? If I asked you how old America is, would you know? I don't know off the top of my hand as well. It's 200 and some years. Israel was in Egypt for about 430 years. Longer than America has existed. 
That's how long they were in Egypt for. Now, we don't know how long of that period they were slaves for. They weren't slaves the whole time. A lot of scholars think it's 150 years they were slaves for. Some think it's 250 years they were slaves. We don't know. But we know they've been there for 430 years, and a good portion of that time they end up being slaves. And a lot of things has changed. Egypt has changed politically. A new king is in charge. And you go, well, who's new king? Well, I don't know. But you have three guesses if you want to know. Some of you like this stuff, so I'll give you the three possibilities. Amos the first, Amenhaptai the first, or Thutmos the first. Now, I'm not Egyptian, so I could probably pronounce them wrong, but uh, if you want them, I can give them later. So a new king is in charge. And this king, as we read, they're afraid. Have you ever been afraid before? You know what happens when you're afraid? You do things you don't normally do. And so the Pharaoh was afraid because the nation of Israel was growing very, very fast. Everywhere you went, you, you, someone was speaking Hebrew. I was reminded of this this morning, and, and I thought I'd share it to you. The first time we took Noah to camp, MDA camp, we stopped at a McDonald's on the way back after we dropped him off, and everybody in there was speaking Russian. I had no idea. I, I, I looked at Amy, and I remember this. I'm going... Did I make a wrong turn somewhere? I'm like, why is everybody in here speaking Russian? And I mean, everybody. There's probably 15 to 20 people, kids and adults speaking Russian. I'm like, what happened? Like, where did we go, right? Imagine being, being living in Egypt, and everywhere you go, it's just people speaking Hebrew. And like, what happened? Where did all the people come from? That's what's going on, and the king is afraid. And the reason he's afraid is this. He's going, there are so many Hebrews that if a war breaks out, they're going to side with the enemy and they're going to attack us. Or if they start to do the math, they're going to realize that they have more people than we do. And we don't want them to fight back against us. And so we have to do something because we don't want them to fight against us and we don't want them to leave the country. Imagine if you were leading a country and two million people just left. Your workforce is gone. The revenue that was coming into your economy, gone. So Pharaoh's like, I don't want them to leave, but we have to do something. And so what do they do? They put slave masters over them. They oppress them. And they made them build two cities, Pithom and Ramses. And if you look at verses 13 and 14, you read this. It says they work them, that's the Israelites, ruthlessly. Because they made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. So what's the picture? Egypt treated them ruthlessly, made their lives bitter, and just oppressed them on any level they possibly could. We have all seen movies or TV shows or read books or seen pictures or anything along those lines that picture this type of treatment to us. We know what this type of treatment of another human being looks like. We can picture it in our minds. Every day, it's just being treated worse than an animal. That's what was taking place. They're oppressed. 
Now, people are not oppressed to this degree in America right now, but people are oppressed here and throughout the world in a lot of different ways. But as I was thinking about this, if we took this oppression and just stretched it out to hardship, we can all raise our hand and go, I've been there. Maybe you haven't been oppressed to this level, but maybe you've had a hardship in your life where it seemed to make everything bitter. It was incredibly difficult. We've all been there. Maybe not like it was for Israel at this time in Exodus or even during, for them during World War II. But we can all go, life has been hard at this time and I've had to go through things I never saw coming. Maybe you're there this morning. Do you know what happens when we're in that season of life where things are painful and hard and difficult, filled with fear, and we're not sure which way to go? We don't think God is working. I've been a pastor long enough to know that people, when they go into these seasons, they start to doubt God. They start to think that God's not working. We look at what's going on and go, oh, we're all slaves now. God's not working. The cancer is back. God's not working. I have no idea what my spouse is doing. God must not be working. The temptation of addiction is back and it's stronger than it's ever been. God must not be working. Don't know how much longer I'll have a job. God must not be working. You see, we enter into those times and and then we start to think, God, where are you? Why are you not working? Are you even here? I'm not going to ask you if you have been there in that spot because if we're honest, we've all been in that place and maybe some of you are in that place this morning. Maybe that has been your prayer this week. God, where are you? I don't think you're working. I don't see your hand working. Are you even doing anything? That your prayer is, Lord, I I feel like a boat drifting in the middle of an ocean tossed by the ocean of my emotions. Maybe that's you. If you're there, let me say this. God does and is working in those situations. I know it might not seem like He is, but He is. Because here's what happens many times in those seasons. In those seasons, we don't see the hand of God working. We don't see the blessings of God because we're focused on the oppression that is coming our way. How do I know that? Because it's in the first seven verses that I already read to you the book of Exodus. You go, what do you mean? Well, I'll tell you. Go back to the nation of Israel. They're being oppressed big time. Big time. Whole nation, two million people have just been made slaves. And they're being treated worse than animals, as I've told you. Their oppression is big time. It is real. And they face it every single day. They wake up and their focus is on that. Well, today's going to be another day I get to go out and get whipped because uh, I'm not moving fast enough. They face it every day. And they're focusing in on that. So let me ask you this. If you were a slave in the nation of Israel under the control of Egypt during this time, what would you want God to do? I guess none of you would want God to do absolutely anything. Would you want God to free you from the oppression? 
Some of you, anybody, would, would you want God to free you from the oppression? Remember, your interaction or lack thereof makes the sermon go longer, okay? Would you want God to free you from the oppression? Yes. And every day you would wake up going, Lord, I'm still oppressed. Why are you not working? You and I would think that, and that's what the nation of Israel was thinking. God is going to free them from the oppression. We'll see that over the next couple weeks. But we're actually told of the blessing and the working of God in the midst of their hardships in this chapter. Did you know it? Let me show it to you. Verse 12. Hey, let's go back to verse 13 and 14. Worked them ruthlessly, made their lives bitter, used them ruthlessly. Well, notice what happens in verse 12. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. It was God's blessing. The more they were oppressed as a nation, the more they grew as a nation. God was blessing them. He was allowing them to have children. And you go, well, that doesn't sound much of a blessing when you're a slave. Yes, but the future does. God needed a nation to bring out so that he could bring forth the Messiah. God was blessing them. God was working in their lives and turning that family into a nation. But they were not focused on that. They were not seeing that. There are times where God's will is for you to be in the hardship. I'm sorry, I can't sugarcoat it for you. Sometimes God's will is for you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I can't tell you that life is always going to be absolute, fantastic, amazing things. Seasons are going to be the valley of the shadow of death. God's will is for that. God's will is for Peter to be crucified. Like you, These things happen, and I hate... It's just God's will at times. But it is in God's will in those seasons of hardship and oppression and difficulties and fear. God is working in that hardship. It doesn't mean that he's going to rescue you from that hardship in the next 10 minutes. But he is working and he is blessing in the hardship. It's just that we're not looking for him. Or what happens is we want a blessing and we want God to do something. And because God is not doing those things we don't see God anywhere at all. If you sat down and honestly look at the hardship that you have been through or that you're going through right now and actually look for God's blessing and his work in your life, you will find it. And it will be vastly different than what you wanted in that situation. When hardships come, you can't just go, God, I want you to do this, and because you're not doing this, you're not working. That's not true. God has and is blessing you in the middle of the hardships. And you need to be encouraged by that, and you need to be strengthened by that. It's the same thing he did with the nation of Israel. It's the same thing that he does with you and I today. And so what do I do with that on a Monday, Pastor? What, if I, what do I do with that on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or in this situation? Take 10 minutes, and I know you all have that because the screen time is horrendous in our generations anymore. Just turn off the TV, turn off the computer, put the phone down. Take 10 minutes and go, okay, 
What is God doing in my life right now? A lot of you know the hymn, count your... How often do you actually take time to count your blessings? If we're honest, we don't. Because we immediately go, well, God's not doing this. He's not working. That's not true. Not true at all. And so you need to count your blessings. Because God is working in that season just like He does here with the nation of Israel. They are oppressed ruthlessly. But God was blessing them by them growing as a nation. And so you have all these babies being born. Because that's what happens when a nation grows, right? Babies are born. So what is the king going to do? Well, that brings us to point three. Obey. Verses 15 to 22. Let me read this to you. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names are Shifra and Puah, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So we got going on here. Well, the king calls in the Hebrew midwives, and there's probably more than two midwives. They're probably just, let's say, you know, the managers, all right? Um, we, we have Sifra and Pua. And so I think Pua is a great girl's name, right? Great girl's name. Uh, Pua is a great biblical name. Uh, it actually means beautiful, if my memory serves me correct. But you have these ladies. And so the king, the pharaoh, calls them in, and he says, ladies, <clears throat> what I need you to do is this. When you go to a Hebrew house and the woman is going to give birth, if she gives birth to a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, let it live. It was their form of abortion. They just waited 30 seconds for the boy to be out of the womb instead of being in the womb. Well, why kill the male boys as soon as they're born? Well, you kill off the males, what's going to happen in 10, 15, 20 years? The nation of Israel is going to disappear because there's not going to be any males to have male children and continue to, to race. They need to pause on that. In our last series, when we talked about Satan, we saw the picture of Satan as a dragon. Do you remember that? And we also saw the nation of Israel pictured as a woman who was in, going to give birth. And she gave birth to Jesus. But in that picture, we saw that Satan was there, ready to devour the child. And I told you in that message, throughout the Bible, throughout time, Satan has always tried to kill off the Jewish race before the Messiah came. You read this and think, oh, Pharaoh was one messed up guy. He was. But this isn't an act of Pharaoh. It's actually an act of Satan. This is Satan's plan. This is Satan's opportunity. This is Satan trying to kill off the Jewish race so that the Messiah could not be born in the line of Abraham. Well, this plan doesn't work. 
as we're going to come back to in a minute, the Hebrew midwives allow the women to give birth and to keep their sons. They don't kill any of the males. Not at all. And so this isn't working. And so what has to happen? Well, Pharaoh has to go, well, now I need plan two. Satan needs plan two. So, so what do I have to do? How do I get rid of these people? Well, down in verse 22, Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Get that. All his people. Imagine that. I don't know how many people are in any Egypt, right? Let's just use the state of Pennsylvania for an example here, okay? There is a little over 12 million people live in the state of Pennsylvania if the study I, I pulled up this week was correct, okay? So let's just say for argument's sake this morning, there's 12 million people in Egypt when this order is given. Two million of them are Israelites, right? 12 minus 2 is what? Twelve minus two is what? On this side of the room. All right, good. Some of you, some of you make me worry sometimes, all right? So, do you think the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, are going to kill their own children? No, right? So you have 10 million Egyptians who has just been told by their Pharaoh, who they look at as a god, tell them, hey, if your neighbor gives birth to a boy, take him and throw him in the river. If your aunt has a boy, take him and throw him into the river. Oh, if your mom has a boy, take him, throw him in the river. Anybody you see that has a boy and they're Hebrew, just take him. Take him out of the mother's arms. Take him out of the bed. Take him out of the crib. Take him out of the stroller. Pick them up off the ground carry them to the Nile, go, throw them in. Nothing will happen to you. Imagine trying to live like that. Where all the people are told, just kill the male boys. Just put them to death. Well, what happens? Well, a lot of people listen to that, but there's one woman who does not listen to that with her own child, but that's next week. We'll, we'll get to that. But we have to go back to the reason why the king had to come up with plan number two. And that's because the first plan of killing the boys as soon as they were born didn't work. And the reason it didn't work is simply because of this. Verse 17. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. What do we read here? We read the midwives feared God. And they didn't do what the king of Egypt told them to do. You see, these ladies feared God and not the king of the world. The Pharaoh at this time was the most powerful person in the face of this planet. You know that? Nobody was more powerful than him at this time. They feared God instead of him. People often ask, what does it mean to fear God? And they go, it means to respect God. Eh. In the early 2000s, there was a shirt that was circulated. People bought it all the time. It was Jesus looking at it like a hippie saying, Jesus is my homeboy. Eh, nope, nope. I wanted to slap so many people when they wore that shirt. It was so wrong. Fearing God is not just that you respect God. While that is 
part of it. It's not everything. You see, fearing God goes deeper. It means to have a reverence of God and awe of God, to know God and to respond to Him rightly. These ladies did that. They knew the God of the Bible. And they knew that God is not in favor of putting children to death. And so they knew that if they did what the king was telling them to do, they would have to answer the Lord about it. And so they knew God, and they knew what God wanted and what God didn't want. And so they knew him and go, you're God, I'm not God. The guy on the throne over here telling me to kill these kids, he's not God. I fear you, I respect you, I am awe you, and I reverence you. You're holy, and I'm not. I'm going to follow you, I'm going to obey you, and not him. And so that's what they did. And they allowed the children to live. Friends, do you know that God, through the person and the work of Jesus and the working of the Holy Spirit, brings you out of a place of disobedience and brings you into a place of obedience? I told you you need to know that thought throughout this book, that God doesn't just bring you out of something, but He brings you out of something to bring you into something. And that through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, one's faith in Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit in that person. You have brought, been brought out of a place of disobedience and brought into a place of obedience. That you and I have been out, brought out of a place of not knowing who God is, not knowing what God says, not loving God, not honoring God, not respecting God, not knowing God's Word. You have been brought out of that place and you've been brought into a place of knowing God knowing who He is, knowing what His Word says, hopefully brought out of a place of not loving God, but into a place that you do love God. And that because you and I know God, we know His Word, we should be living with the fear of God. Going, I know this is not what God wants me to do. And because I know that this is what God, I know God does not want me to do, I'm not going to do it. You've been brought out of a place of not loving God. Hopefully brought into a place where you love God. And what does Jesus say in John chapter 14? If you obey me, well, if you love me, you will obey me. Notice what Jesus says. He goes, if you love me, you will obey me. It's not that you obey me to earn my love. You already have God's love in Christ. Where Jesus goes, listen, if you love me, you will obey me. Only because you obey. You're not earning salvation. You're not trying to earn God's approval. You're not trying to earn uh, his favor. You're not doing any of the. It's simply because, Jesus, I love you, and therefore I'm going to obey you. Jesus has brought you out of a place where you did not know God and did not love God. And he's brought you into a place to where you know God and you know his word and you should be loving him. If you love him, you should be obeying him. It is better to obey than to disregard, but what do we do in our lives? I know God says that. I know God's word tells me not to do that. But you know what? I'm going to do it anyways. Why? Why? We've all been there. We've all done that. 
Why do we disregard God? Well, I'm not going to give you a list of things. But one of the things happens is this, and it goes along with our passage. It's going to be easier for me. It's going to be more convenient for me. It's going to be more comfortable for me if I disregard what God says and do what the world tells me that I can do. Ever been there? You have. Just don't want to admit it. The Hebrew women, midwives, could have been put to death by Pharaoh for not listening to him. And what do they do? It would be easier for me, it would be more convenient for me, it would be more comfortable for me if I listened to the Pharaoh, disregarded God, and killed the babies. What you and I do every day is we make a choice. Am I going to disregard the commands of God, the Word of God, to make it more comfortable and convenient and easy for me here and now? Or am I going to obey God because I love Him? And if that obedience to God brings discomfort, if it brings a hardship into my life, then so be it because I want to obey God. That's the decision you and I are faced every single day. That's the decision the midwives made. Well, the midwives made the decision to obey God instead of disregarding God. And guess what happens? <clears throat> God blessed them and gave them a family. Yeah, and midwives at this period of time usually didn't have families. A lot of them were midwives because they couldn't have children or they haven't had children. And so for God to give them children and a family was a huge blessing to them. And a lot of people go, oh, God blessed them because they lied to Pharaoh. No, we're not told that lied, they lied to Pharaoh. Maybe they, it is true that the Hebrew women gave birth before they got there. He doesn't bless them because of that. God blessed them because they feared God. Friends, even when things are not going your way, and even if things won't go your way, it is still better for you to obey the Lord than disregard the Lord. And maybe you're doing that in your life right now. Maybe you're doing something in your life right now that you know that the Lord does not want you to be doing. But you're doing it because it makes things easier for you in the here and now. That's not the right reason to disobey the Lord. There's no right reason or good reason to disobey the Lord. And so what happens is this. At times we sit back and we, we go this. Why isn't God working in my life? Where is God at? Could it possibly be that you're actually disregarding what God is saying to you in His Word? And that you're actually not obeying Him? Have you ever thought that? We're not going to be perfect. God knows that. And this is not a call to perfection. But if we're honest, we can all stand back and go, yeah, I know I'm not listening to God on that. And that very well might be why you don't see God working in your life. Do you fear God this morning? If you were faced with the decision right now in the next five minutes, 
where you had to make a decision that showed you feared God or that you would go along with the things that the world says, what would you do? What decision would you make? Would your answer show that you fear God more than the rulers and the people of this world? It's a very difficult thing to do. Very difficult thing to answer. And so I'll leave you with this. Are you obeying God? Or are you following the ways of this world? Or the ways of your sinful nature? Because God has brought you out of a place of disobedience. And He's brought you into a place that should be filled with obedience because you love Jesus. So which is it for you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for today. Father, we thank You for the book of Exodus and Your Word. Father, I pray that You'd help us to obey You. Father, I pray that You'd help us to see the areas in our lives where we are not obeying You, Lord. Lord, forgive us for our disobedience, but I pray that You'd help us to obey You, to show our love for You, our fear of You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.